I think it's from when I started, I think growth was a bit more of just pure play acquisition. Now I think you're almost like this multifaceted marketer, a little bit of technical chops combined with the ability to you know, work the financial aspect of, of acquisition and retention. Why do some companies succeed in driving growth while others fail? How do some individuals advance in their careers to lead teams that change industries? In the age of mobile, these are the stories of the companies shaping the way we interact with our world and the people who drive their growth. Hello, everyone. So excited to introduce our next guest, Kar Parmesivan. He's currently in the VP of Growth at Blue Apron. Prior to his role at Blue Apron, Carr has led growth at several companies, including Coop, Nutrafol, and Shipt. Welcome to the show, Carr. So, so happy to have you here today. Thanks for having me today. It's uh, my pleasure. So tell us, you know, for those who might be international, might not know what Blue Apron does, tell us what Blue Apron does in your role. Cool. So at Blue Apron, we empower people to create incredible culinary experiences at home through our meals. We're a direct-to-consumer meal kit company, and all our recipes are chef-designed. Each recipe comes with pre-portioned quality seasonal ingredients that help our customers create home, amazing home-cooked meals. And every week we have over 55 options to choose from. We at least hope we provide a service where people don't tire of us uh, very uh, easily. And we are always expanding our product line to add on appetizers, desserts, breakfast. We are also trying to add more and more uh, ready to eat, like heat and eat, ready to bake type products as much as possible so that people can you know, find the right balance between wanting to cook and sometimes in a pinch, you can just toss something into a microwave and um, you know, you're ready to have a high quality dinner. How cool. And you know, for those who now might be like, I want to try this, where are you available around the world? So currently we are in the US only at this point. Yeah. All over U.S., anywhere in U.S., you want good meals. Except Alaska and Hawaii. But other than okay. that, we are available in the other 48 states. Yeah. Amazing. I have tried Blue Apron. I loved it. Uh, you guys are awesome. I'm curious. Tell me about your, your journey. How did you get to Blue Apron? How did you get to actually being growth? Sure. I think I have a bit more of an untraditional path towards uh, growth and marketing in general. I started off my career as a banker working in the subprime sector across auto, credit card portfolios, so on and so forth. And then I think about 12 years into my career, I decided, you know, I did want to try something new and decided to pivot pivot out and try my hand at startups on the Bay Area. And there, my first role in a startup was more on the finance and analytics side. And that's where I started to get exposed to like ROI-based marketing. And this is like 2014, 2015. So this was when Facebook and Google advertising, search, paid social was just exploding. And then the first time there was a demand for, I think, technical knowledge combined with the ability to you know, work a spreadsheet all of a sudden in marketers, uh, just because all of a sudden the number one question was like, how much did our marketing return next week? And the whole industry was changing. And I found a role there because being in credit risk before, I was just managing a portfolio to get a required ROI, which that kind of skill set lends itself uh, pretty well to like managing a media mix, figuring out the right amount of upper funnel, lower funnel, and mid funnel to, to get that optimal uh, CAC at the end of the day. And then also in when I was in banking, I did a lot of recovery strategy, which is basically 
figuring out, you know, optimal ways to like for debt collection and things like that, which also lends itself to lifecycle management and CRM because you have to be very careful with your touch points, messaging, so on and so forth. So in this weird way, I was preparing myself for a career in growth. And, uh, you know, as I kind of networked my way in the Bay Area, I got my first opportunity to lead a growth team at, at Shipt, which was an on-demand uh, grocery delivery service. And next thing you know, one thing leads to another, learning really quickly how to run Facebook campaigns all the way to, you know, flying a plane in the Floribama shore uh, with advertising and out, for, out of home. And then that was a awesome two-year experience. And that opened up opportunities to keep furthering my career and growth. And I tried a couple of subscription businesses and then a couple of e-commerce businesses. And then Blue Apron, a fan of the company, fan of the product. And it's definitely a really, really, really interesting challenge here and and lots of cool problems to solve and a lot of opportunity to grow. So I decided to try my hand in the meal subscription business, which is incredibly fascinating. So That's awesome. I think what's really interesting is this is a growth podcast, but we've had people from analytics, product, marketing, and actually we haven't had that many people whose title is VP of growth. So I'm kind of curious, how does your day-to-day look like? Where does growth sit at Blue Apron and where maybe did it in other companies? How do you like define this growth function and how do you, how does it look like for you today? Yeah, I think one of the common misconceptions is when people with the growth out think that you're solely focused on acquisition and just and media buying and, and, and media management in general. I think that's just be one aspect of the role. I think as you kind of further your career and growth, uh, I think someone has to be, you have to be really good about, you know, uh, controlling your own channels uh, like email, if you have an app, SMS, and then just the whole life cycle journey, because I think both of them, both of those things work hand in hand. And if you actually nail the life cycle part of things, that takes a lot of pressure off the paid pay media side of things because then you actually have a this you build this machine that's constantly growing versus like a leaky bucket where you're like, uh oh, too many people churned. I need to keep adding more and more to the top. So that's why so for me for growth, it's it's a combination acquiring customers as well as keeping them and retaining them. And I think these days a senior growth person definitely has to have their chops in marketing technology as well. The way the various MarTech products interact with your engineering team, your product team, and so on and so forth. So it's, I think it's from when I started, I think growth was a bit more of just pure play acquisition. Now, I think you're almost like this uh, multi, uh, multi-faceted marketer with a little bit of technical chops combined with the ability to work the financial aspect of acquisition and retention. Interesting. Very, very cool. Tell me about a little bit about your team and some of the campaigns and activities that you guys do day-to-day to help Blue Apron? Sure. So my team primarily focuses on, uh, one half of it focuses on um, paid media acquisition. And we are, we have a currently a, have an always on full funnel approach. So this ranges uh, anything from TV, connected TV, all the way to your paid social, paid search and affiliate campaigns. So, and we have a significant budget. So this, and so this actually requires quite a bit of time and effort to sync up the investments uh, across the various channels. We actually get it down uh, to almost uh, a weekly, week by week type level spend by channel and expect a return for each channel. So that does uh, take quite a bit of time and resources to execute that efficiently. And the other half is the life cycle like we talked about. So that's like 
emails. And if you think about it, sure, there's emails for acquisition and emails that win back. But a business as like from the outside, like a Blue Apron, a meal kit business does not, you know, seem like it's that complex, but you have to have your transactional emails really have to, you know, be on point. If accidentally a box gets lost, you have to make sure, you know, you inform the customer because they could be waiting to cook those meals for their family. So you want to make sure you do right by them and inform them with enough time that something's wrong and so on and so forth. So there's this whole like retention and engagement aspect as well as the like all our transactional emails are super important because people depend on it. It's food, it's personal. You just can't overlook like that, like, oh, just an over confirmation email. You, it's, it's important that it goes out with the right amount to the right time to the right people. Yeah, so that's kind of like the kind of the day-to-day of the team. And then of course, always both teams strategically always looking to you know push the envelope. On the acquisition side, it's CAC. On the own side, it's order value and more and uh, reducing churn as much as possible. Cool. So, you know, when you talk about paid media today, have you seen, you know, with what trends have you seen after some of the changes that happened in, in, with, with the privacy changes that Apple introduced? How have you thought about shifting that spend? And are there any emerging social channels that work better than others? What advice do you have for others who are also in a consumer business looking to try new things and be efficient? So I don't think there's a, a magic bullet anymore. <laughs> Yeah, I kind of miss those days when I started when, you know, yeah, you didn't really have to be that great to have like profitable Facebook campaigns when everything was open and the targeting was precise. The black box algorithm was just <laughs> on point. It was like, I want to sell shoes. It would find me thousands yeah. of people who oh. were ready to buy shoes. You know, I miss the good old days. But I think at the same time, I'm very excited about all the privacy because I think that's important. Data privacy is super important. And whoever chooses to share that should be an option for folks, although that makes my life a little harder. But I'm super excited about it because it actually, we, as marketers, we have to learn how to blend, like as growth marketers, we have to learn now really, really learn how to blend the creative and branding side of your product. You can't science your way through things by bit caps and low cost. That would give you, definitely give you incremental value. But yeah, for it to holistically work, there's a refocus on your blended CAC or channel media mix management and some things. And I, and I'm also a believer that there's no such thing as like a playbook for channel mixes. It's just constant trial and error paid social. I think at some companies I've seen great success with Snapchat just because that's the right audience at the right place at the right time. And at other companies I've seen, you know, great success with obviously Instagram and so on and so forth. So it's really, I think what, this post iOS world is doing is forcing the you know the growth teams to really like take a step back, start 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 working very very closely with the brand and creative teams and like really like figure out who your audience is and then it's up to the growth team to really figure out where can I find these folks. I think just from a macro perspective, you see the growth in like streaming TV and things like that and. We, I think we all know Netflix and Disney Plus is coming to the table there. That's a ton of inventory that's about to flood the market there. So getting your tech stack right now in a, in a place where like where you can make these investments and scale into these various platforms, whether you do it through an agency or you buy direct, you've got to get ready for that. I think that's the more important thing than actually like whether TikTok's working for you or not. Because I'm not saying that TikTok doesn't work, but it might not work for the, any particular audience that, you know, 
if you sell a niche product. And your messaging has to change even between. So remember, it's funny because I think back in the day when I was doing paid social, like for Facebook, Pinterest, and let's say Snap, it would be one creative brief because it's just like, give me paid social assets. Give me some video that moves with this message. Now it's like three different briefs for like three different channels because everyone I'm talking to on each one is different. And unless you are willing to get to that level, I think the difference post iOS 14 is you don't see the success if you're not willing to play by the platform's rule. There's no more overarching, oh, this is paid social, this is paid search. You know, like you got to get to that level of like, okay, this is who I want to attract in Facebook or Instagram, or this is who I want to attract in TikTok. And you've got to really kind of edit that messaging to hit them at the right time. So makes sense. Appreciate it. How about the re-engagement? When you think about re-engagement, talk a little bit about how you think about retention and re-engagement and like the role of the app. The role of the app, I think for us is super important, more so than just because the main thing is we are you know, providing a product and a service where when the customer uses it, all their actions are offline. I 1000% am not using their camera to capture them cooking. So the app is really, really important for us to create that feedback loop like a five-star rating usually means that recipe was easy enough to cook or someone it was super tasty and they enjoyed it and if somebody chooses to perhaps skip for the week getting that on like reason of why they're skipping with his travel or they or something else is going on in their life like it gives us that level of personalization to keep you know pushing the right products in front of them as well as the ability to maintain to keep a customer happy that's i think the main role of the app and super important for us just because yeah, it's the what we're selling, all the enjoyment yeah. and, and the, the user feedback comes offline. So this is the only that combined with, you know, the right email touches. Some people prefer the email emails over app, but like just engaging the right the people at the right time to provide us that feedback. It's super important. And the app's very, very critical. I don't think this is uh, I don't think it's, it's news to anyone. But basically, when folks download your app, they churn a little less. So like, yeah, oh. so they, yes, I mean, I think that's the app download 101. I mean, we see the, all the numbers across all of them. Every, everything. So like, there's nothing, no, no rocket science there. But yeah, it's something, the, the app's super important. And one thing that we're always pushing when we have a new customer in the lifecycle flow is to drive that app download and engagement. And you guys use Branch for some of those. Any like insights you have or anything that worked really well, any campaign to bring people to the app? I think for us, I think in terms of that, we probably, I don't think we're doing anything like out of the ordinary. I think it's it's the right placements at the right time of their journey. Sometimes it might not be the best to ask, ask someone to download the app before they get their first box versus after they interact with the product a bit. And those are the constant kind of questions we're trying to answer. When's the right time to push that? Push that? And then we experiment using the welcome journeys and, and series and stuff in our email flows to constantly test when's the best time to drive that action. And then once you have them download the app, make sure whatever messaging and stuff you're pushing in app push is also like valuable. I'm a big proponent of like, if you're going to bother someone, make sure it's worth your time. Like it's just don't send something for the sake of, of sending it. Right. So the app's super important for our engagement and something we hope to push in as well over the next year is more and more acquisition via the app as well. That's on our roadmap as well. And Branch is definitely, I think, an important part of both aspects of that uh, because app download, 
if the branch link's not working right, we know we set it up wrong on our end. We know we, we clearly see the lack of performance. So it's I think so, having a tool like branch definitely helps us make sure the person gets where they're supposed to get to. So, yeah. Cool. Thanks for the shout out. I appreciate it. <laughs> so I think what's really interesting, you've worked in growth at m- multiple different companies. And I think one of the questions I always ask is really around like, what's one campaign that worked really well that you're super proud of? And one that like you thought was going to do really well and then it bombed. So I think people learn a lot from examples. Yeah, I, I think one the for the the one of the most successful like I think wins I've had with my teams is basically when I was at Spacious, the which was an on-demand co-working solution. So basically refurbished, you know, retail that was un, underutilized in big cities like New York and San Francisco, and just made them like drop-ins like you can just come in set up shop free wife free wi-fi with your fees gluten fee coffee all that good stuff the basics and basically when i joined there's always when you join a subscription business there's always a hyper focus on subscriptions and the one of i think the issues that i we quickly found out was there was a one-week free trial before you, you converted into a monthly uh, subscriber and when we went and saw our customer feedback there were so many people writing letters of apologies because they were like, hey, I'm from out of town. Like, I used you for like three days. It was awesome. I tried to tip the guy in the front, the host, but they wouldn't even take the money. And I really feel bad. But like, yeah, there's no way for me to pay you because I'm canceling after the free trial. So we completely, <laughs> so, uh, you know, it, and these people like sincerely apologetic here. Uh, so what we did was we just... Uh, we are like, I was like, we have to rip out this free trial and we have to switch pivot to like a day pass kind of business. And with that, you know, you had to obviously, from a technical standpoint, rip out the whole trial logic and so on and so forth. You had to create a day pass functionality. This is where the app came in uh, super useful because now you can just, your app literally becomes like a commerce platform where you can literally buy it during the day, scan and, and you're in. Yeah. And that, I think... Pretty much, I'd say, I think was one of our biggest successes, it just turned around the whole inflection. It was an inflection point for the business because this day drop, this daily drop in revenue started to becoming so substantial that, sure, that was nice to have, like, that, that allowed us to give us price breaks for, like, one-year subscriptions and quarterly subscriptions versus just focusing on month-to-month. And then, so you had this nice... I think you had this nice uh, balance of like, oh, I, I have my daily revenue coming, daily cash flow, but you also are locking in some like mid to long term revenue to just kind of bet. So, so all of a sudden, the the cash flow of the business becomes super steady. So I think that was one of the the better campaigns, and just by and by just doing that unlocked a lot of campaigns like in LinkedIn where I'm just selling day passes versus trying to convince someone for a subscription. It's much easier to convince someone to just pay 30 bucks and try it for a day. That's cool. And then versus, yeah, versus trying to sell a $199, $200 monthly subscription. So yeah, it's also a different way to actually acquire more subscriptions because now you've tried it for a couple of days, you're 30 or 60 bucks in, you're like, oh, wait, I actually like coming here every day. So I'm just going to switch to a monthly or quarterly. So yeah. It's very cool. I like that a lot, actually. Like, and I agree that with LinkedIn, it's so complicated. Like I think in our case, mm-hmm. we can't like get someone to sign up for a branch, but maybe they'll download the paper or get something like smaller. And so I think that's just very, very cool. How about something that failed? Oh, yeah. 
That's, that's a long list. That's a long list to choose from um, because I believe the growth, like failure is part of the game. So like got no problems uh, talking about all my failures because that means I was trying. So, like, so, so I think one of my favorite ones is like, this is probably earlier in my career doing my time at ship grocery deliveries. I think one of my hypotheses, right, was, oh, okay, grocery delivery. Grocery delivery will works best for people who don't have time to go to the grocery store. So yeah. I'm like, what? I'm like, what occupations do I like really go after? And then the my bright idea was like nurses work weird hours, yeah. right? And it's one of those things where, yeah, this is the perfect service that they can just... Yeah, I can see that. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, yeah, let's go after nurses. And my God, I like hyper-targeted <laughs> nurses. Like I went across various channels from Google to Facebook. I'm playing these expensive CPMs. I'm buying nurse email lists from like the nurse foundations and stuff like that. And basically, the I thought the messaging was on point. I thought everything was going great. But the bottom line is I ended up with like a $17,500 customer acquisition cost for that for this trial campaign. And I think the mistake I made at that point, I think it's something that potentially a lot of people like early in the careers in growth make too, is, is hyper-targeting. Like you go, you go too fast, too soon, and too narrow uh, to a certain audience. And, you know... There's nothing wrong to try that because sometimes you might strike gold. But I think a lot of times, especially in the earlier when you're earlier stage and stuff, and you're uh, the company and the product still like maybe it's infancy. I think that's a, a very risky to go after such a targeted group. I like if you if you if, you, if I went back to the past, I'd probably like expand that. I would be nurses, teachers, yeah, like a whole bunch of people that have weird odd hour jobs. And start there and then try to finesse it. But yeah, that was uh, probably one of my, yeah, I still think that 17,500 is like the worst campaign I've had ever. Yeah. <laughs> Let me see if I got it right. Because you're super targeted. It was super expensive to acquire. What was your hypothesis? Did they actually convert? No, they didn't. <laughs> the lots of lots of visitors, but they did it. So I don't know what was wrong. Part of that could have been the product offering at that time was not right. That ship from when I started to what is now, like in terms of like even what's available is like almost grown like 15, 16 fold, like in terms of groceries available and products available. So it might not have just been the right fit for those folks at that time. Interesting. Very cool. Thanks for sharing. What a good one. We talked a lot about metrics, testing, experimenting. What metrics do you look like do you look at to make sure that your experiments are what metrics do you look at when you run an experiment? And also, what are the daily metrics you look at? So I guess two different questions. I think for something, Blue Apron is at a larger scale than you know some of the, my prior stops. And there's a definite funnel here, like even into the acquisition journey, that's a bit more, I think, longer than you're you know, perhaps a, selling a standard e-commerce product because food is incredibly personal. Everyone has different use cases between variety and so on and so forth. So it's almost like an education that has to go on uh, before you get a conversion uh, and someone to try a meal kit. And the funniest thing here is uh, we think a lot of people, especially people, folks that live on the in the bi-coastal areas, meal kits, they're like, oh, hello, fresh blue apron. We totally understand what it is. But like almost 50% of the country has never tried a, a, a meal kit, despite our like especially when you live in the bigger cities, you're like completely familiar with the concept. So there, there is an education aspect, I think that has to go on, especially outside of your like large cities on in terms of like 
how, what benefits such a service can bring to you and, and that it's pretty flexible and things like that. So in terms of so going back to the metrics, obviously visitors, the amount of traffic I bring in and the spend I do to bring those folks in. So because just to give us a look, which is the cost per visit. And then from that point, I got to really keep a close eye on on how many from that, how many like soft, warmer leads I can capture, whether that's email or shipping address and or shipping zip code. And then from that point, do I get their credit card info? And for most people, once people you think that, you know, oh, folks put in your credit card, you're good to go. Then there's also, but you still have to place an order once they get that. And sometimes folks might go and be like, oh, I don't really like what's on the menu this week. So I'm going to pause. And sometimes they stay on permanent pause if I don't if I don't remind them like, hey, we have new stuff on the menu here. Come back and give us a try. So there's like multiple funnels. So these conversion rates from each part of the funnel, something we keep a close eye on a weekly and monthly basis. And then I'm also like, I've from the start, I've been a blended CAC person before iOS 14. I still am post iOS 14. It's I'm really happy I didn't really change my change my methodology because. It seemed like it came one big circle uh, in six years, six, seven years. As MTA, as we all know, it's still effective, but like doesn't have the same juice that it used to have uh, pre-iOS 14. So now it's almost like that blended cat. I am happy to keep scaling across the board. Obviously, you look at it from a channel, but as long as the blended CAC stays steady or is at the right level, that's a risk that we accept. We're happy to keep scaling. So... I think it's definitely a bit more trial and error these days uh, because of the lack of measurement in various channels have deprecated. But yeah, I think that is kind of my North Star, just that making sure that blended numbers stays where it's supposed to stay on a weekly and a monthly basis. Yeah. So for our audience who might be, you know, newer to growth, can you explain what blended CAC and MTA is? Oh, uh, sure. <laughs> I mean, I know, what, I know what they are, but I just want to make sure everyone's... Of course. Yeah, sure. Customer acquisition cost is basically the amount of dollars you spend divided by whatever the amount of responses you're looking for. If you're looking for emails, like the, divided by the number of emails, if you're looking for orders, divided number of orders for us. For I think Blue Apron, I'm always focused on new. When I look at the when I look at a acquisition number, I'm always focused on net new because obviously we've been in business for 10 years. If I blend everything, returning customers and stuff, that can get a little gnarly. So yeah, so we just look at total amount spent and then the new prospects that we have uh, acquired. Yeah, so that's what I think customer acquisition cost means. And then blended, I think over time. There's paid CAC, there's like brand awareness CAC. Blended just means you you total everything up. Got it. And you divide it right. Yeah. Yeah. So like I think that's how I make the differentiation there. Which makes makes sense. Online, offline, upper funnel, lower funnel. I don't care. All in one. All in one divided by thing. It's working great. So if we want to try a test, like let's say we want we're seeing some positive momentum. Let's try adding more in the upper funnel. We try dialing it up. And we see if the number stays. And if that if it does, that's great. If it doesn't, we dial it back down, try dialing it up somewhere else or try different messaging elsewhere. So like cost of trial and error, basically. But I'm also very lucky to have a phenomenal like analytics team that helps me get to all these numbers because we have millions and millions of rows of data, obviously, just being as big and as long as we have been in business. So cool. So you know your stuff, you're You've, you've had an amazing career in growth. 
What advice do you have for others who are trying to become growth marketers, who are thinking of becoming a growth leader one day? Where should I get started? First piece of advice is definitely when you get into growth, find something that you're at least moderately passionate about. Because I think to get good or even to get, you can be good. At, I think there's anyone can be get good at growth because I think there's enough information out there. There's enough, what do you call, like just resources. I think, I think one thing I like about being in the growth community is a lot of people don't view it as a zero sum game. People are happy to swap notes. And so you can, you can get lucky. You can, you can talk to a, CF, a chief growth officer who's willing to give you 10 minutes of his or her time. And you can accumulate this info really a lot that you need to become good at it. To become great, you need to be obsessed with what you're selling. That And if you ask my girlfriend, she always says that's unhealthy, but <laughs> that's, you also have to make sure you have a understanding significant other to support your <laughs> career in growth. But because sometimes she can be talking to me and I'm not going to lie, I will be thinking about meal kits and how to optimize. Uh, I love <laughs> yeah, it. So, so like, wow, that is going to, yeah, we should try canceling that out of the podcast. We can't remove that this. from the podcast. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> but she's, uh, yeah, she's incredibly supportive uh, of me. So I really appreciate that. But back to like, it's one of those things where I think the obsession starts with like really understanding who you're selling to and really finding the reasons to believe the RTBs for like your, your consumer, why they love your product, who are your best customers and like really getting however you can figure it out, whether it's surveys, calling up customers or just getting, even talking to your friends in a party about your company and getting their point of views. Uh, I've had a lot of passionate arguments about meal kits and how they fit into someone's lifestyle with just friends. And this really, and really just be obsessed with finding out various different perspectives. I think as humans, we always gravitate towards like trying to get people's thoughts and opinions of pe that agree with your own. I think it's super important to kind of spend the time and, and understand why people disagree with your opinion. Yeah. And that is kind of the unlock of how you build, I think, a successful nat a company that can appeal to the nationwide appeal because everyone's different and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But you have to understand and you have to set up your growth system and work closely with brand and creative to get the right messaging to the right person at the right time in the right place. So it's just one of those things like, it's that obsession is, is really what's necessary, I think, to, to, to survive in the growth world. I've been very lucky because I got to skip the kind of like coming up in marketing, right? So it's, it's also one trap, I think, that a lot of early career growth marketers fall into is they re really become really, really, really good at one set of channels. But I believe that you need to spend, whether it's on your own time or not, but even if, like, if you're a paid search guru, it is in your best interest to just immerse yourself into paid social. And that's what's going to make you take that next step and really understand the ecosystem. And really, I think these days, any growth marketer, you got to be good with spreadsheets. So like yeah, if, if they didn't force you to learn Excel <laughs> in school, just go to like anything, go to from anything online. And maybe some SQL. Yes. SQL is the next level, but I don't think it's a necessity just yet, but definitely helped me. Definitely helped me that learn more about growth because I had obviously given my banking background and did a bit of coding earlier in my career that SQL and Excel were absolutely the most important things to help me accelerate in, in the world of growth. So from a technical perspective, definitely those two skills combined with obsession, 
I think is what you need to succeed these days. So. Nice. Cool. I love it. I'm going to take, I love the the advice to listen to other opinions. I think sometimes we move really fast and we don't want to hear it. I think that's really good growth advice, but also life advice. So taking that with me from this podcast, <laughs> tell us a little bit about what is something that we couldn't find if we look up, we look you up in LinkedIn or Google that you think helps drive some, some of this intensity and passion that I'm, I'm getting from this from you in this podcast? Well, I think my, the, the thing you can't find is I can eat a Chipotle burrito in under 45 seconds. Oh, uh, no, we so. need to. I, I can do the same thing. So we need my friends always said right. that they want to like put me in competitions because I eat so fast. I feel like this is. This is okay. Next, next, next time. Next time we get to meet each Amazing. other, it's on. <laughs> so I think in general, I think it's just. So I love learning. I can go down Google rabbit holes on random things to make sure I understand things. So like, yeah, it's just, I think that's where it comes from. I just want to know everything about everything. Maybe that's a bad thing sometimes, but like, it's just, and I just love it. And I just love, I think what people sometimes when I have the opportunity to recruit someone, especially early in the career and they want to get into growth, you got to make sure like they thrive in like, in uncertain environments, because I think that's what growth really is. You don't really, as I said, I do not believe there's one standard playbook at all. And it's just constant learning. It forces constant learning because to be honest, if I did not read the newsletters I do and did not stay in touch with what's going on in terms of the tech world, tech aspect of marketing and stuff, I mean, I'd be dead in the water. I'd be like, what's TikTok right now, right? So like, you know, and I'd be like, uh, so it's just, it's just something new comes up every three to six months and you have to really just put your head down and, and, and use your spare time to get good at it or understand whether it's the right platform for you or not. So I think that's, I think that's kind of like, what I do offline, like, you know, (laughs) and I I do like scroll LinkedIn a lot of all the social platforms because I have a great, I'm I'm very happy, blessed to have a great community and they post a lot of cool articles. And that also helps me uh, (laughs) accumulate the right information at the, uh, you know, in an efficient manner. So nice. I love that. You know, it's been awesome having you. We're going to end with something that we call the lightning round three Uh fun semi-random questions to get the audience to really connect with you and get to know you better. Okay, question number one. Are you ready? Sure. If you had to delete all the apps on your phone and you could only keep one, what app would you keep? That would be a boring answer. I'm sorry, but it's WhatsApp. It's just given my background being international, my parents live abroad. I've lived in seven cities in the 20 plus years that I've been in the U.S., WhatsApp is a centralized location where I keep in touch with all my friends and family. Uh, so that is the one where if I lost complete connection to that, I'd be like, uh-oh. I don't think I even know most people's phone numbers at this point. So I think yeah. uh, yep, that app would be the most important one that I have. I mean, who knows people's phone numbers anymore? <laughs> so, okay. So if you could have an app that allowed you to talk to one animal, one type of animal, what would you pick? I think that's... For me, that would be, uh, I think, a panda. So, like, yeah, talk to a panda. Just because I. Wow, uh, okay, very original. First panda on the show. That's the first panda? Yeah, I am a. No one yeah, else I is call a panda. The panda as well. So, like, that. Okay. <laughs> so, it's like, 
No, because I believe in having like a growth spirit animal, and that's yeah. the one I like to embrace. Panda is your spirit animal. Yeah, just uh, it's for growth, especially for growth. Like you, because they're generally even keeled. Okay, why? They're even keeled. It's very hard, very rare to see footage of like a panda like super excited or super pissed off. Not saying that they don't, but like in generally like calm demeanor, and I think that's what you need to succeed in life. Even though you're for a while there, they're an extinct species. They didn't seem too concerned about it. They were just like all good like things are going to work itself out maybe the humans will help us out i don't know but like it just seems you know want to understand what keeps that even keel because i think that is actually very important just to bring it back to the growth world and it's one of those things that they're also it's not like pandas are like you can go cuddle them but they only get angry when like or do action when it's really really necessary instead of overreacting so this is this kind of like that zen vibe that i really want to explore in a panda uh, so that's why i'd want to talk to him and get better at just keeping an even keel because i think growth i think that's super important in this career path so yeah i really embrace the panda i do have pa- a lot of panda t-shirts uh, that i wear to work so yeah i love it wow that's cool I've, i haven't heard that or thought about that before I just thought they were cute, but you've re- definitely changed my mind on how I view pandas for the rest of my life. You have made that difference. That's already me winning today, so I'll take it. Okay, last question. What's an unlikely app on your phone that your friends and coworkers might be surprised if they found out you had it? It's funny because lots of people don't use T-Mobile, but I love the T-Mobile Tuesday app. What? What is that? I didn't know. <laughs> so T-Mobile has this phenomenal review. They're a carrier. They have this phenomenal app called T-Mobile Tuesdays where they give you tons of discounts. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. okay. it was, whether it's $2 off a Dunkin' Donut or like Blue Apron ourselves, we run promotions on, nice. on T-Mobile Tuesdays and stuff. But you can get great deals. And it's it's a little random. So you always, it's, it's one of the most engaging apps that I've ever had because they just, you know, have the right catchy pushes and all that good stuff and just open it up and you're like, oh, free stuff. So yeah, that's actually random, but probably one of my most engaged apps. It's a weekly appointment every Tuesday. So yeah. I love it. Wow. Cool. Amazing. Well, Car, thank you so much for being here. This was super enjoyable. You changed my mind and helped me learn a lot of things today. I hope the audience feels the same. So thanks for being with us today. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave a review wherever you listen to this and share with someone trying to grow their career. Until next time, keep growing.